0: Welcome back to Digital Health Unplugged, the podcast in which we take a look at what is making headlines in the world of NHS IT. I'm your host, Andrea Downey, and I'm senior reporter here at Digital Health. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Digital Health Unplugged. There has been a lot going on since we recorded our last episode. We have a new health secretary now. Savid Javid has replaced Matt Hancock after he had to step down following an affair with his aide that broke social distancing rules. I'm sure we're all very familiar with that story by now. But Javid has also come in at a really critical time for technology and data in health. The health and social care bill was officially put to Parliament last week, and that puts integrated care systems on a legal footing. There's also a whole lot in there about procurement and the Secretary of State's powers as well. There's also been concerns surrounding the general practice data for planning and research service, uh, mainly around how the government will be using patient data. And he's also got to help pick the new NHS England CEO. So he's got quite a lot on his plate. But just before he was appointed health secretary, the government published its draft data strategy called Data Saves Lives, Reshaping Health and Social Care with Data. And that has been really anticipated since Hancock announced that it would be coming down in around November last year. And that's what we're gonna be taking a look at today. A very quick overview of what the data strategy is. It is essentially the government's plan to get the best use out of health data and capitalize on the work we've seen during the pandemic in terms of data sharing and also patient involvement. There was a really big focus in the report on patients gaining more control over their own data, better use of data to improve care and making it easier to share data between systems. It was a very long report and there was an awful lot in it. So joining me today to give us their perspectives on the plan David Hancock, Healthcare Executive Advisor at InterSystems, Catherine Dampney, Director of BI Innovation and Transformation at NHS South, Central and West, Monica Jones, Chief Data Officer for Health Data Research UK's hub for cancer, DataCan, and John Hoeksma, our Editor-in-Chief here at Digital Health. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, What a wild few weeks for news it has been. Are you managing to keep up with it all?
1: It's certainly proving fairly difficult, I must admit. I mean, uh, glued to Twitter. I mean, if you're not already glued to Twitter, but I mean, it's, um, it's it's pretty full on at the moment, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, there's an awful lot going on. Um, it, I, for a little while, I kind of forgot the pandemic was a thing. <laughs> um, um, but we should probably talk about the data strategy because there is a lot to get through. Um, so I, I guess the best place to start with this is asking each of you, what you think the key points of the strategy are and also why they're so important. Uh, Catherine, could I start with you?
2: Um, Yeah, by all means. Um, Interesting read. And I think, I think for me, there's something about the nuance of this strategy that nuance is the word that comes out for me. Um, I think in terms of the key themes, what I was really, really pleased to see in there and I, I felt was up there was standards and professionalisation. Um, really important. It's what's driven the digital agenda. It now needs to be applied in the same way to data and analytics. So I thought that was absolutely great news. Um, Clearly, um, this is springboarding and inspired by some of the stuff that came out of the pandemic, Um, and keeping what was good out of that, I think will. So some of the views on data sharing, what COPE actually managed to do for systems, I think that's been recognised. That's really good. I think the other theme that came through through for me that was was the really thought-provoking one. The very interesting one was some of the descriptions around the infrastructure and some of the concepts that have been putting through on that. Because if you read that very carefully, and I, I, I've had a chat with some of the people behind this, very, very ambitious, very different thinking from what's happening currently and quite a big inca- impact across the sector. So that, I think, was what came up for me.
3: I was quite heartened. It was it was quite an easy read. You know, I've read a lot of uh, strategies in my time, and sixty four pages of actually quite interesting stuff was uh, was a very pleasant surprise. Um, I think, from sort of my perspective, I think what helped. Um, Um, In terms of the overall sort of um, absorption of it was actually the number of use cases that were in there. We're, We're humans, we like stories, and therefore actually being able to articulate that as the thread throughout the strategy, I thought was actually a really smart move. Um, Yeah, I would agree with, you know, a lot of what Catherine said with my academic research sort of hat on. I was very heartened sort of in particular around sort of Section 5 on sort of empowering researchers to get what what they need. Um, I think the strong emphasis on trusted research environments and and the, um, the component parts and the five safes associated with that sort of links Right into um, the whole sort of you know question around professionalism and, and and sort of standards, you know that potentially it talks about a prolif- proliferation of, of of TRES and we've got to be careful about what is a trusted research environment, what isn't. And I think the use of the term trusted is is very useful from a a, a patient and public sort of per- perspective. Um, and and also I think I found it really useful that they stated the data architecture principles. You know, I sit on a number of design authorities, a couple of which I chair. And actually that's always my starting point is to actually have a set of architecture, data architecture principles. And I think in terms of actually monitoring and checking the success against the strategy then actually having some of that sort of framework
0: will help. So those are my initial sort of thoughts. I'm glad someone found it an easy read (laughs) I I kept trying to read it and then forgetting what I'd read five minutes before (laughs) I'm glad someone found it easy Uh, David and John did you have anything to add to that
1: um yeah I mean uh, it it was good good with the examples I I definitely agree with you there um, Monica it always brings it to life um I don't think I found it quite such an easy read because of um there were there were to be honest with you quite a few bits of it that i really struggled with you know and when i mean struggle i mean actually sort of agreeing with parts of it and i think that um you know there was some there was some definitely some really good bits in there again to what monica said you know the thing about the data strategy i was very interested in i'm very interested in uh because of my role in, uh, in interopen and how we look at interoperability but also obviously as a, a as, as working for a software vendor you know so the things about the the, um, the data strategy and the desire to modernize the data architecture that that is a really really big piece and as you said it is really really ambitious um, you know, and you know how achievable that is. That's a, I think that's one to be um, that's one to be discussed. But on the other hand, the fact that the, the strategy talks about the need to be able to um, define a data a separate data layer from the EPRs where you go and get data actually contravenes one of the data architecture principles, which is says we won't duplicate data. So I think we just need to sort of think about some of these things um, a little bit. I think the data architecture is a really, really important area and it's something which um, it's great they're thinking about it. I think that we need to think a bit more about it and I think there needs to be um, some sort of um, a bit more kind of co-production on that with the service and with with suppliers as well as sort of not just thinking that it can be done in sort of some top-down kind of way. It's an interesting
4: kind of strategy, isn't it? I think it's the first time we've had a data strategy in quite this way. Um, although, curiously, we haven't actually seen the technology and digital transformation strategy that's promised um, to follow. And I think it would have been kind of particularly helpful to see those two um, at the same time. Um there's lots good in there. I think um, the points made so far by Catherine, Monica, and David, um, all true. And there's absolutely no question, Andrea, that you know that the the potential and the actual use of data has dramatically transformed um, across health and care, and you know we've really seen that kind of come to the fore during the the pandemic. But as a data strategy, there are some curious omissions from this, and for me, the the kind of biggest one is that there is almost no mention about patient consent. Um, Patients. a promise that they'll be told what's being done with their data, to whom it's being given, and for what purposes, but at no point in the admittedly fairly rapid read that I gave of it um, did I see a promise that patients would actually be able to um, give permission, um, that it would be for them to decide, um, or that that principle at least would be applied when um, thinking about data sharing. And for me, that that that's, that's remarkable that it just isn't there at all
2: yeah I, I i I agree with John. that was really that there, there was um for me, it was a, a huge gap. and it was really interesting because it says at the front the key priorities that it's sort of building on understanding and data use and transparency. And I thought, well, I don't see that with the public. you sort of build on rather than it's sort of buried in. There, But you're absolutely right. We talked, you mentioned, I think, before, Andrew about patients having more control of data. That's not how it reads to me. More access to data, closer to data, but control was not in there. Um, and I think there is also not enough about engagement and facilitating that public discussion. And although... There's some interesting points made about public understanding and data for the greater good, et cetera, and the public benefit. It's clear when you dig into that that, that, that people have different conceptions about public benefit um, and how that's going to be used. And I think that, really, you know, a good data strategy well-rounded needs to tackle that as well.
4: If I, if I could just come back on that. So I, I think that, um, that if the government wanted to kind of say, look, you know, um, these benefits are so kind of important um, and so critical that it should just be part of a, a kind of um, contract with free um, citizens that your data is used for these uh, purposes uh, for the benefits of all then that's an argument that that makes perfect sense and they should get out ahead and say um, but, but they don't um, so it's all implicit and assumed throughout this kind of um, strategy and Without wanting to mention the dead, dread, care dot data, I think that was the problem with care data as well, is that the arguments were not made about why your data should be linked, should be shared, um, and that that's my main concern about the, this um, data strategy is that it seems to, at least in my view, uh, dock the question about consent without making the argument that um, that you know data should be shared for the numerous benefits which are kind of set out um, in the strategy. I'd be particularly interested, Monica, just to get your view on this. Um, Do you agree?
3: Very interesting points. And I was just sort of, you know, scanning through um, the section where it refers to Um, I think on page seven, the the public's data belongs to them. So it's important that it is safely and securely only used in ways that benefit everyone using the health system, which I think is absolutely right. But then it goes straight on to saying we don't sell health and care data where access is granted. Having met these these thresholds, it must have the explicit aim of improving it. So I think there probably is a bit of a gap there in terms of actually explaining the sort of the opt-out process that we have for health and care sort of data, and actually being explicitly up um and that we don't have a consented sort of model unless we're doing sort of you know clinical trials or or, or doing sort of you know very sort of pure sort of research. That it is actually a sort of a, a, an opt-out uh, process, and I think that to me seems that sort of a, a, a bit of a gap, um, sort of a, around there, but. I think it, you know, it does build on a lot of the, the positive things that have come out of 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 COVID, and, and Catherine mentioned that earlier, you know, with the copy um, sort of um, uh, regulation. That has actually accelerated a lot of and and unblocked some of the barriers that those of us have been in this business for for many years (laughs) on all of this call um, have been quite frustrated with because sometimes it is just a question of the computer says no because and people use information governance really as a, a as a blocker rather than actually an enabler. It's there to protect. It's there to protect citizens. It's there to protect us, those of us who work in the NHS, those of us who work in the sort of broader um, um, sort of public sector. But actually, I think sort of building on those those positive things, but actually being sort of uh, quite explicit about what what it can be used for and what it can't be used for, is something that is clearly work in progress um, and, and and needs further you know, co-development, co- co-design, uh, sort of around that. So that those are my sort of reflections.
0: I'm really glad we all mentioned the issue of patient consent, because um, that was something I picked up on a lot in in the strategy, because there is a lot of chat about putting control of data back with patients and, you know, giving them access to their records, uh, specifically through apps like the NHS app. Um I think there's a very distinct difference between being able to see your records and then having control over your data and how it's being used. And that's where I got slightly confused and wasn't really sure how I would have control of my data when this happens. Um, so, where do you think, like, did the strategy actually directly address putting patients in control of their data, or is this just making it sound like they're going to be in control of their data?
2: It didn't, from my point of view. It was about access to ability to update. It wasn't about control. Not in LA, I would say control. Control for me. There was one bit where I think they were referencing um, what some of Tim Bernard lees work on Solid about creating that social control of uh, uh, social data and access to that. But I didn't see how that pulled into the strategy and really turned firmed up. But having said that, let's be honest here, this is a draft strategy. So, you know, very, very much fingers crossed the authors will listen to this and start to to, to pull that in. So it could come back stronger, and I, w- I would hope so.
4: I think the consultation is quite short, isn't it, Catherine? It's to the end of July, if, um if memory serves.
2: Yeah, it's not very long. Yeah, I think, I think it is something like this.
3: Yeah, I think it is. I think it's even sooner than that. It's something like the twenty-third. So yeah, you it, and actually it came out sort of a, a a few days earlier than I was expecting to do because I was actually on 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 a call uh, with Lord Bethel and on the th- the Thursday um around sort of the, the you know sort of advocates for the strategy and most of us on that call were thinking, oh, it's going to be released afterwards. And it sort of popped out on the Tuesday and it was like, oh right, oh okay. <laughs> it's out in the open. But very, you know, as as Catherine says, it's a draft strategy and it's beholden upon all of us, I think, to respond to that consultation and actually sort of, you know, raise the issues that where we think that there that there are those gaps um and, and and make sure that that actually what becomes the final sort of strategy is uh is more comprehensive
1: could i just offer
4: kind of one other kind of observation when reading through this and i think it goes to the point that we were joking about kind of andrea that wow there's a lot there and it's quite kind of a lot to kind of <laughs> chew your way through is that yeah it there's an awful lot of bodies initiatives reports working groups that are referenced as part of this and I was struck by you know and a big part of my job is to actually read these um, reports when they come out is this is really complicated there's an awful lot of work going on in the space and unless you actually make it part of your job to kind of really be um staying up to date on this it's incredibly hard to just kind of have a handle on what's happening with data mm. because there's so much work going on
0: yeah i agree i don't think the average patient is going to really understand a lot of what's going on with this strategy also it did strike me as slightly concerning that the consultation period was quite short um maybe that's the pessimist in me that makes me think that maybe they're trying to sneak things through um but i'd like us especially after the gpdpr fiasco with um having to extend it i thought that we'd have more time to read and respond um what does everyone else think on the length of the consultation time we've got
1: yeah so um i think that um yeah, I I think the consultation period um is is too short. You know, um there is there is there there is a lot to read, there's a lot mm. to digest, there's a lot to internalise, there's a lot to think there's a lot to think about the implications of what is being of, of, of what is what is being discussed and what is being sort of written in this document. And um I think that um going through this too quickly you know, it's going to be more difficult to undo when we suddenly find out that there that there may well be issues, and um, you know, I, and I have got some fundamental concerns um, about 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 the strategy. You know, and you know, and they're not even about specific areas. You know, it's things like when you have a strategy, you typically define where are you now, where do you want to get to. And how do we get there? That's, that's essentially a strategy. But this document really, to me, just focuses on point two, which is where do you want to get to? It doesn't say exactly where are we now, which is a hugely mixed estate across the NHS with trusts and central systems all in different states of um, maturity and readiness and with all the other things they've got to be working on. Um, and there's nothing there at all about how you're going to get there, about what are the steps that are actually going to be taken? What's the plan to actually get you through this? And so to me, I look at this and it goes, it's a lot of warm words. And I do applaud some of the things that are in here. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just left thinking, I don't understand how this is going to be implemented. It looks as defined, unimplementable. And, that's a, and, a, and a strategy can't be unimplementable. Otherwise, it's just it's just vision, and 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 nobody knows how long it's going to take. They've even got sort of, sort of dates, and that really that really worries me because of either people don't understand how difficult some of the stuff is going to be, particularly when you know the NHS is dealing with so, so many so many other things, you know, or um, they don't think it's important and it can be done in some way in some kind of top down kind of way and that's that's the way they're thinking so so that does worry me and the other thing that worries me is there's sort of 26 listed things to achieve the overall vision it's 26 commitments they've made okay I would genuinely be that they, they can't be all as important as each other because 26 you just can't manage so what's the most important ones And where do you start otherwise this all looks to me as if something that you just can't implement and if you can't implement it is it worth it and and that's what i'm worried about and that's just some of the key feedback that i certainly wanted to be able to to give that we've got to make this implementable if it is going to be useful
0: Mm. well that leads me nicely onto monica actually because i know that health data research was invited to sort of help develop the the strategy um so what do you think of what david had to say
3: yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's a really valid point that, that David says, you know, and, and as, as an enterprise architect, I always do the as is and the to be and how we're going to get there, you know, from uh, for, from one to another. Uh, it, yeah, it makes assumptions about that. People understand sort of where where we are at. Um, but it is very much a mixed economy. Uh, and certainly, you know, I have a, an additional sort of NHS role Um as exactly for population health for yorkshire and humber care record which was one of the uh, the wave 1 uh, local health care record exemplars fondly known as, as Lycra's. and i think you know within yorkshire and humber for a population of 5.5 million people we've uh, we've got an amazing sort of mixed economy of sort of suppliers system homegrown, eprs etc and, and and a vast sort of range of um uh, of digital maturity and therefore Creating shared care records, which is now, you know, the responsibility of, of all of the ICSs and with the the sort of the, the the change in regulation for ICSs to have much more of a legal standing from next year, I think that's a that's a big ask. Um, however, you know, it is doable and over the last sort of couple of years we've made significant sort of progress. I think from a research perspective, you know, HDR UK has been in operation for nearly three years now and the hubs for sort of 18 months. Um, I think that it has made a difference having a national institute uh, for health data research. I think in terms of asking and responding and taking strong leadership. Um, around the use of, of of healthcare data for for researches is, is an important thing and that that was lacking sort of previously i've been involved in a number of workshops um with with various hats on as part of the development of the data strategy and um, they were actually very well run, and, um, you know, there was a lot of information that sort of came, and it, they were very interactive, despite all being done sort of remotely. You know, we were using sort of uh, electronic post-it notes on the big whiteboard rather than uh, the, the than actually sticking them on the wall. Um, so I think, you know, they, 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 there has been a pretty broad consultation. I'm not, you know... Uh, I'm not saying everything is absolutely perfect, and you know I took my rosy tinted glasses off a long time ago um but um I think there is um you know there is further sort of uh, of development and um and actually the the the, the ask for, you know, all ICSs to have a, a, a shared care record so by September this year, you know, is, is, is also a big ask. We're having a lot of people are knocking on our door wanting to adopt New Yorkshire and Humber technology because we've taken a very much bottom-up approach, which is joining up our system of systems so 74 organisations and concentrating on the interoperability element, as, as David mentioned sort of earlier, rather than actually sort of that, top-down heavy engineering uh, approach, which absolutely failed completely when we had the national program for IT. And those of us who still wear those battle scars wouldn't want to go back through that uh, again. So, you know, I I do believe that the approach in terms of interoperability, in terms of standards, in terms of, of linking things up is, is absolutely the right way to do. But it's, it's a big ask, um, you know, and, and I think the data strategy helps. But I think there's a lot more to be done in terms of what does that actually mean in terms of the roadmap. What does it actually mean in terms of funding? Because you just can't do this on a on a, on a, a makeshift budget. Um, and the NHS is under you know massive financial pressures anyway. You know the effects of of the pandemic you know has eaten up sort of any, any kind of uh, additional sort of funding that might be around. So that it, this has got to come with some hard cash. In order to make it happen, so it was a bit of a bit of a splurb around the place, but hopefully that made made sense.
0: <laughs> no, that made perfect sense, and it it always comes down to money, doesn't it? Um, which unfortunately isn't something the NHS has a lot of. Uh, John, you look like you have something to say.
4: Well, it's it's kind of um, a bit of an aside. It's a little bit kind of frivolous, but in advance of the strategy being published, um, I started getting kind of messages from um, some of the kind of. Um, Folks we know well, particularly through the um, CCO and CIO networks. And um, NHSX had come up with this um, interesting concept of getting pre endorsements for the strategy from people that hadn't actually seen it or read it yet. So, um, certainly, um, as an approach to getting people to um, endorse something without having seen it, I think that's a real novel, um, um, you know, uh, tea that we've seen in this kind of data strategy.
0: Yeah, how did they go with that? I I think think people felt a little bit conflicted.
4: So I'm quite like going to use the strategy first.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't want to endorse something I'd not read. Um, I mean, there's no question that there is some really
4: clever thinking and some smart people that have informed this. um, You know, including Monica and many others from the research community. But you know, I do tend to agree with David that uh, you know you you have to actually be able to implement this and. um, when um, Matt Hancock announced the separation between data layer and applications um, at Rewire, we were super pleased he came and made a big headline announcement. But wow, that's a huge, huge, huge kind of um, challenged set. And um, I don't think we're any kind of um, close to details on how it's proposed that actually happens.
2: Um. I I think it depends how you look at it John um on that point about that separation from applications to data layer. um and and I know you know in conversations there are our champion there've always been champions about the vendor neutral approach on data um within our networks our, uh, et etc um we've just done a piece of work for Kent in setting their ICS data strategy and analytics strategy and we very much took that view that we would go for a separation of application layer and data layer in that approach. However, the approach is um, evolution, not revolution. Um, and I think if you look at it, in, you know, if you do it at that sort of ICS regional scale, I think it's easier to get your head around in terms of an evolutionary view. I certainly think when I look at it from a national strategy point of view, and th- this was a question in... in in my head, and I think something I'm sure David's been thinking about, is the, the actual impact of that infrastructure approach is, is we're talking about the market space, the whole vendor market. There are a lot of suppliers in there that are going to have to really rethink the business model and the economic impact around that. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong as approach, but I think it needs to be sort of seriously considered in terms of the impact that that will have.
1: Yeah, I, I to- totally agree there, um, Catherine. Um, because of if if the NHS is going to develop this data layer it talks about here, are you going to ask every single vendor to change their architecture, or the international vendors as well? You know, that again is sort of making the, potentially the NHS a uh, you know a market of one. <laughs> which is therefore going to struggle to be able to you know get innovation things around the world it, it may it may give it some other benefits but it's got to think about is this it's got some downside um i'd also like to go to your point because totally agree with you about the ics and that being able to do things at an ics level become become more manageable and at the heart of being able to begin to separate the um you know your data from your applications is you absolutely need your kind of your 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 Local gateway or record locator, because the thing you need to be able to do is then sort of know where the where the data is, and um, a good thing in the strategy is it talks about the importance of that, and 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 how they want to be able be be able to define that, and um, that is that 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 is to be applauded. You know, there needs to be a lot of work done on the national record locator as it is today to be able to fulfil that to become a, a record locator and, a, and, a, and, a, and an aggregator. Um, but the fact that recognizing that that's really important because that has got to be at the heart of, of so much of what we want to be able to do when we're looking at, particularly at point of care um, settings. Um, but I think then that what we need to be able to answer, and it is easier to answer at the ICS level, is then if you're separating the data, in, in, how you want to do it, what is that data, and how you and how are you going to and how are you going to manage it, and it's uh, easier to do it at a, at a locale of an ICS than it is at some, something um, something national.
3: Those of us who sort of uh, are advocates of, of of open standards, in particular, sort of open EHR, have been sort of beating this drum for for a long time. Um, it was always considered much more of an academic um, sort of uh, approach, um, but actually I feel that the the technology and the approach has now sort of moved on that people are are genuinely sort of considering it as a, a as a, a realistic alternative when they're they're looking at those sort of epr replacements it it's It takes quite a lot of Understanding and, and, and courage uh, in order to be able to do that. And as Catherine said, you know, the evolution rather than revolution kind of approach is is probably a much more um, achievable and affordable sort of way of approaching it. But I think the good thing about the strategy is it does endorse that sort of process, uh, sort of that uh, methodology, and and therefore it it is about working with existing sort of vendors in order to be able to say right you know how do we get from a you know a completely proprietary sort of um architecture and an and information model uh to one that is actually based on sort of open standards and 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 I think that's quite you know Achievable and encouraging to be able to to do that, um, but you know, it once again, it, it's, uh, it, it takes that sort of level of investment, and it needs you know leadership drive, and it needs need, needs incentives in order to be able to 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 do that. Uh, so it comes back to my my earlier sort of comments.
2: I'm going to get the one the one burning item off my chest that I need to get off on with this data strategy. And again, I said that you know, a bit back before it was about nuance, and and in some ways, and I think there's some subtext reading, but there's stuff that needs to come to the fore. But there's also some gaping holes, and the biggest gaping hole for me that really almost distressed me. I'm gonna I'm going to be as strong as that is inclusivity and exclusion and equalities. So we are really, the the one thing the pandemic did is it absolutely blew wide open a huge spotlight on what it means to, you know, what health inequalities are and what the impact of inequality is on health. Um, And if we don't address this in the strategy and talk about digital inclusion and, and inequality, we're going to put another blocker in for people. Um, and I think it is so so important, especially when we're talking about people's access to their health data and to be able to engage with the system that's going to be increasingly more digitised. To have that front and centre at any strategy, and I just don't feel it's been given the airtime it should
0: should have. And it's a really important topic.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and if I could,
1: sorry, and if I could just add. You know, there's a lot of talking about bottling the spirit of COVID and what we should be doing around um, uh, with um, with data. But I'm really disappointed that after COVID and how we see, to follow on from Catherine's point, how it's disproportionately affected the poor, those living in more deprived areas of the country, how this document has actually made no mention at all of social determinants of health. You, You do a search for that and it's not there. And after the Marmot report or the reports, I'm staggered that they've got nothing to say about we need to be able to do more with that data, you know, to be able to help us to understand needs and, and, and deliver health care. Because after all, you know, your postcode has a bigger influence on your health and life expectancy than your genes. So but there's no mention of that. And I was really disappointed by that not being called out.
0: Well, I'm really glad that we've had a chance to discuss the good points and also the bad, because it is still it is still a draft consult uh, out for consultation. Sorry, it's a draft strategy, so you do still have an opportunity to have your say on that um, by the end of July. Um, but unfortunately, we are running out of time. So, I one last question, just to wrap it up from everyone: um, If you had You know, one piece of advice for the people that will be implementing this strategy, or Sajid Javid himself, uh, on dealing with health and care data, what would it be?
1: Um, Well, I would probably um, say that um, you absolutely need to go and talk to the service and the suppliers, simply because of it's about exactly where the priorities are. And I know a lot about the research, but it's all about the point of care, so. The service will know where the priorities are. And then the system suppliers who are providing the software, what's the data we need? And prioritizing the data that we need to then be able to define, for example, the interoperability standards that we need to be able to improve the data liquidity of that data. And that also then begins to give you a plan on how you could begin to implement it. I think those are the most important things to start.
3: Yeah, I mean I I, I would re- reiterate that and and going back to some of the points that you know we we've discussed uh, um you know there needs to be an indication about how this is going to be taken forward uh, you know what the expectation is in terms of you know a refresh of di- digital roadmaps um and what the sort of the funding stream and the prioritization is um that, that that's coming out of this now obviously that will be the next step but it, I think it needs to be a bit more explicit and, um, you know, as part of, of the strategy.
2: And I think, you know, I think that um, although this is a national strategy, I think that in order for it to have the impact that it could in terms of improving uh, health care and health and well-being of the populations, then it needs to be driven by um, the needs and the understanding at that, at least the ICS level if not the regional level, because that is where the change happens and that is where I think the innovation will happen as well. Um, So it needs to make sure that in terms of developing this and having the implementation, those voices are heard and that that is understood and built into that strategic approach.
3: Yeah. And finally, let's not forget this is a strategy for England, not for the UK. So there is a bit about making sure that that joins up across the UK uh, and uh, and that we work as part of that organisation, certainly working for a UK wide organisation uh, at HDI UK. You know, that is something that is always at the forefront. And I remind people almost on a daily basis that, you know, it isn't just all about England.
0: Yeah. All excellent advice. And I'm sure, well, hopefully the powers that be that will be writing the final report have been listening to this podcast. Um, But sadly, that is all we have time for. It was such an excellent discussion. David, Catherine, Monica and John, thank you so much for joining us on Digital Health Unplugged. And of course, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Please don't forget that Digital Health Unplugged is published fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and the usual podcast platforms. So you can give us a follow on any of those to keep up to date with what we're doing. And if you've got a podcast suggestion, we're really keen to hear from you. You can get in touch on podcast at digitalhealth.net. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you in two weeks' time. You've been listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more episodes or to keep up to date with what Digital Health Unplugged is doing, you can give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast channel. If you want to know more about digital health, our news and events, you can head on over to digitalhealth.net.